Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 318 of the Mom Hour. I'm Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. I'm excited to be doing listener questions again. I know. It's like one of our favorite things. Um, And if you listened last week, we also did listener questions. We tend to do these. Well, we we always do these two in a row. Yeah, unless we're doing like a special one-off, like a themed one. But yeah, almost always in pairs about every three months. Yeah. And so we'll solicit questions from the community. And some of these are questions we just got. And Summer questions we've been sitting on for a while. We try to mix it up so that we have a good, you know, a good blend of different kinds of questions in each episode. But we really love these because it allows us to dive deep on more specific parenting concerns than we usually do. Usually we try to like hit everybody's. We try to be everything for everybody. And sometimes it's nice just to be able to answer people's (laughs) specific questions. So a big caveat that we um, aren't always, this is just us, right? This is just our opinions and we're not maybe always going to address your specific situation to your, to your ultimate liking. Um, it's how we do things and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, we are, I think that is a good reminder. Um, we are, we bring our own personal experiences and I think that's an asset, but also sometimes misleads people to think like, we think that's the only way to do things. So we have to try to be really clear about that. Like we're bringing to you our experience and the things, you know, the people we've known and, our, our more globalized experience. And we know that that's inherently limited. So we can give you a lot of what we have drawn personally as moms, and we can give you none of, of what it's like to be, you know, an expat living in Southeast Asia with six children right. and like uh, a sick mother-in-law. Like there, sometimes the questions we get are so specific. We just have to remind everybody, like, we, we don't know, we don't know it all. Right. We don't. We do not know it all. Um, Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. 
Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, we are back with a question, a voicemail question from Jillian. So let's hear from Jillian now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Jill. I'm a mom of two little girls, ages five and seven, and we live in Massachusetts. My question was inspired by a post I once saw from a friend online asking how they should address another parent that they didn't know about how they're buckling a toddler incorrectly into a car seat at parent pickup. I would love to hear your opinions if you think it's ever appropriate or acceptable to give unsolicited tips or advice to other parents you see out in the real world, specifically about things that you perceive that may put their kids in danger. What's the best way to go about doing this? Have you ever been on the receiving end of unsolicited advice from a stranger or an acquaintance? Have you ever seen this done well? I'd love to hear you two discuss this. I love the show. Bye. So Jillian, I have to say that I love how diplomatically you set this up because I truly Mm -hmm. have no idea whether you were on the side of advice giving or advice taking. Um, Part of me thinks maybe you were the advised at, but I don't know why. That's just totally like my gut reaction and I could be wrong about that. So I like that this, this is truly a question where I feel like we're answering it without the context of having to like make you feel better or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know what I mean about whatever side you're on. And I kind of appreciate that because it makes the question a little more, um, it just makes it a little more neutral, like for Mm -hmm. us to actually have our true answers. So I will just say, I know Sarah, you've got some very specific memories around this and specific like stories of this, of you being on one or the other side of that. But I think I am hardwired to be defensive. If anybody points out that I'm like, if anything about my parenting, even a small thing, even if it's something I couldn't have known Mm -hmm. or wouldn't have been expected to know, I can feel very bad about not having known something or even maybe having known it and not done it perfectly. And my initial reaction is to be very defensive. Um, That said, there have been times in my life where the the right person said the right thing in the Mm -hmm. right way at the right time. And it was very impactful. And I don't think I'm alone in being defensive about having my parenting called out. Um, And I definitely don't think anybody wants to hear this from a stranger. And I think it could even potentially have the impact of like uh, just having a negative impact in another way. Um, But all that said, there is a time and a place, I think, that where it's appropriate. I just think it has to be handled very carefully. And Sarah, Mm -hmm. I know you've got more specifics about this. Well, it brought up a couple stories that I remember. But before the stories, I'll just say this is like one of those X, Y axis graphs where like <laughs> the the more severe the danger the child is in, the more right. likely I would be to say something or or appreciate that someone else said something. So, for example, let's say you have a crawling baby that you don't know very well, like an acquaintance's baby, and they're crawling around and they put a marble in their mouth. I'm going to jump in right away and be like, oh, my gosh, your baby has a marble in their mouth. And and hopefully I'd be like, oh, I just saw this. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to like I might even reach in that baby's mouth. Maybe that I was just going to say, I think in that case, I would just spring into action. And it then it doesn't always come off as judgy, though. Right. Because you're not telling the mom 
gosh, didn't you see they put a marble in their mouth? It's like, yeah. whoops, you know, it's that, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, baby's got a marble in their mouth there. And then you just take care of it. And that builds that like we're all in it together camaraderie, which is very yes. different from pointing something out. Right. And and like in that case, danger is probably imminent. I'm thinking about swimming pool, like like there's some things around water or like electrical outlets or some things where it's not a judgment, but you do have to say something and it might feel awkward. And you might you might go into overdrive so much that you actually do overstep a little bit. And the person's like, oh, he totally knows not to touch an outlet. Thanks. I'm on it. And then you feel kind of bad and it, it could get awkward. But I guess my point is. When the severity is a little less, like, for example, the five point buckle harness example, if that chest clip isn't at their armpit level is a couple inches south of the armpit and I don't know the person very well, I'm not sure I do say something like so there's I guess my point is this is like this is a very case by case scenario situation. But I'm going to tell two stories, one where I was the one told and one where I did the telling Um and Megan, I totally agree with you. The knee-jerk reaction for me is to feel very embarrassed, maybe right. a little less defensive, but but really embarrassed like I should have known. And then later on reflection, I have felt really thankful, actually, So when, I, when I've been the one being told. So the one where I was told it was my first baby with a, with a car seat where you carry the bucket seat by the handle, you kind of link your arm up under it. And I was told by a mom friend, and by the way, I don't think this is even true anymore, but I think it was true at the time that you were not supposed to drive with the handle up. It was not recommended. You're supposed to click it into its back position. Now, again, you all listening, this is 14 years ago, 13 years ago. So forget about the fact that this may have changed, but at the time that I believe that was the best recommendation and I didn't know. So I had the little hangy toys for her to look at in the car. And I had a very dear friend who was only a year ahead of me in motherhood be like, oh, I noticed you kept that up when you put it in the car. My pediatrician told me that it's probably better to leave that back. Or I learned at the fireman's car seat seminar to keep that back. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I'd probably been doing it for three or four months, you know, um, at that point. And it was a little thing. And she said it really delicately. And she framed it as like, I didn't know this either, but I just learned that. And that I think right. is a really a friendly way to frame it. Um, and if if you go back to the severity, that's pro- that was not really like a imminent danger thing. So she didn't have to say something. I was actually really glad that she did. So that's an example where, um, yeah, I was glad she did. I felt a little silly, and um, I'm glad that she said something. Another time, I was at a friend's house who had a maybe a ba- a new baby or a crawling baby or a baby and a toddler. And she had these tiny magnets on her fridge. They're the kinds that um, that are really strong, but they're yes. really tiny, like the size, like a little cube. You know what I mean? Not even yep. chokeable size, swallowable size, like right. really tiny metal magnets like that make like, your intestines stick together size. Yes. And yes. so um, I want to say that her her kids were not super independent yet. Like maybe they were the type that were still mostly in the bouncy seat or they weren't super mobile. And I was just like, and the magnets were kind of up high. So like that day, it wasn't imminent, but I wasn't sure that she knew that she was about to enter a phase of life where that was not safe. <laughs> and I said something. I was like, hey, just so you know, like these th- these magnets like are that's bad news if if it ever gets into a kid's mouth. And I don't know if you knew that. And this was a really good friend of mine. And she was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. You know, so just like it wasn't on her radar because I if I remember correctly, she was still pretty in infant territory where it wasn't like her toddler was walking over, grabbing the magnet. And I was like, no, 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 no. She was like a few months away from that, but I could see it playing out. And I wasn't sure that she knew. And I said something and it was, it went over fine, but she was a very, very good friend that I felt I could say something. If I was at a new, like if I was at a brand new friend's house and they had those magnets on their fridge, I, I don't think I say something. So I guess my point is it's so personal and I don't know, but I do think sometimes you say something and sometimes you're the receiver and it can feel awkward and we're just all doing our best as humans. Well, as you were telling that those two stories, I was just thinking, Sarah, I bet you have way more stories than those two that came to mind that of like a friend, like a true friend, just giving you like a little FYI mm-hmm. and it doesn't even stick in your memory because it was such a not big deal because we yeah. can't all know everything. Like we all are going right. into this with the understanding that we're not all literally reading every single 
parenting story there is out there. And for a while, it was kind of funny because um, I was doing so much writing about parenting, like so much that I was scouring. This is back in the days I was pitching stories. So I was scouring um, press releases. I was scouring mm-hmm. studies. I knew so much more than the typical mom did because yeah. it was my job to know. Like literally my profession was to know these things and then to try to pitch stories based on that information. So I remember it being kind of a joke around my my mom friends that I was just like a walking encyclopedia about everything, like whether, um, and not even just safety issues, but like, was their latch good? Um, I could spot a bad latch from across the room, like <laughs> all of these things. So I was kind of just like this walking encyclopedia, but it was always just, it was just that I had a knowledge base that I knew not everybody else had the time or interest to have. Mm-hmm. And so it would just kind of come out naturally in conversation. I wasn't walking around telling people this stuff in just, I wasn't like at the Target bathroom <laughs> and saw another mom. And it's like, hey, by the way, did you know? Because they didn't know me. There wasn't the context. There wasn't the yeah. care. Um, all of that was missing. And most of the time, like you said, the danger was not imminent. And if the danger was imminent, like that imminent, I'd be springing into action. Like mm-hmm. if I saw, and I have seen this before, driving down the highway and there's a baby crawling around the back of a car. <sighs> Um, I have like <sighs> essentially pulled people over before, like been like pointing at their back seat, like yeah. get over or I've called the cops like because that is a true safety hazard. Yeah. Like there is a child crawling around the back of a car uh, and no place. Uh, this isn't like it's not just that they didn't know where the clip went or maybe they didn't know where the clip went and the kid freed themselves. Whatever. That's not between that's not between me and them. That's between them and like like just correct the situation, get it under control. And I've sometimes felt a little weird about acting in that way, but it's almost like the part of your brain that's going danger, danger, danger takes over Mm -hmm. and you make a split second decision based on that. So even if it's a little awkward when you hand the baby back to the mom, you know, who the baby somehow got out of the mom's grasp and was about to fall in the pool and you grab that baby, or it's kind of like another pool, um, another pool analogy would be me sitting and watching like little kids running past me that aren't mine and me telling them walking feet because I can't help myself. I just can't, (laughs) you know, I can't help it. And there might be a little awkwardness, but that's okay. That's different. I feel than me saying, Hey, did you know that? Um, I don't know the way you have them buckled into their stroller is not the, the best or like we could take this down so many roads, some of which are safety in the short term, some of which are like longer term things Mm -hmm. that wouldn't maybe even become a parent for a while. And I think with total strangers or even acquaintances, I just tread very lightly. Yeah, I tread lightly too. And if I ever felt it was important enough, urgent, important, imminent, or high stakes enough, I think framing it in that, hey, I know not everybody knows this because I just found out um, but I recently learned that is, is a way to soften it so that you're not, you're not like, Hey, you're the last one to know how to buckle right, right, into right. a car seat, yeah. but like, Hey, this is a really common misconception, but da, 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 da. um, you will not do this perfectly and you will have it done imperfectly at you, to you. <laughs> in, at you, in yes. the course of your parenting. And so this is where like heaps and heaps of empathy and grace on both sides go a long way. And, and I think it's okay to feel the defensiveness, feel the embarrassment, um, and let yourself feel that. And I, I distinctly remember feeling it and then almost shifting to like, I'm glad I know that now I'm going to let that go. I felt my feelings. And now I'm just going to be glad that I have that piece of information. However, indelicately it was delivered. So. Yeah. I think that's a really, that's a really good caveat and a way to look to kind of approach it. And I will also just say that this is not like, this doesn't go away as your kids get older. Um, Mm, yeah, if anything now it's kind of like, hmm, because they're not doing things that it's not me doing things to them that might put them in danger. It would be more like them doing things themselves that would put them in danger. And Uh so in some ways that takes a little bit of the loadedness out of it, but in some ways it also is almost even more loaded because what they're doing feels like a reflection of your parenting. So right. or it implies if, that you've like you're not paying attention or you're not exactly. like raising your kids a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Um I still have conversations with my very very good friends where we'll be pretty frank with each other about not like we think your kid is in trouble but just like oh wow that sounds really hard what what are you going to do about that or what do you think is going to help 
him or her. And, um, sometimes that's how the conversation goes. And then sometimes it's like, you know, well-meaning, but kind of busy body people trying to make comments about what they saw your kid doing this, mm-hmm. that place. And, and you have to decide what's just going to roll off your back and what you're going to dig in and on and what you're going to pretend to let roll off your back, but then go home and, and mull over. And actually, yeah. you know, sometimes someone says something to me and I blow it off and I, because I don't think they have the relationship to make the comment. And then later I think about it and I'm like, well, maybe they were right. So it, it's, it's so imperfect. Like we're all, yeah. it doesn't end. It just changes shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to a question we got from Stephanie by email. And I think you're going to um, have some wise words for this one. That's my prediction, Megan. So Stephanie says, I would love to hear how you handle things when you have a kid who is struggling. It could be with friends or school or sibling dynamics and how you deal with your other kids, the one not struggling, when one of them is struggling. So I have two kids, 12 and 8, and for various reasons at one time or another, one may be struggling with something and taking all of my energy. I would love to hear how you handle different typical struggles and then how you give enough attention to the kid who is just bopping along. Um, which I love that last phrase yeah, because that is, they don't all need you in the same way in equal increments at the same time. And you have yes. five kids, Megan, and I have three. Um, and when I had three, I remember my mom saying, well, somebody's always going through something with two, you might get a break, but with three, you will literally be in a phase where someone is going through something all the time. Yeah. Um, so I want to make two comments, um, to set the answer, my answer up. One is that just as a caveat, some kids look really good at bopping along or appear to be always bopping along and aren't necessarily bopping along. So I think that that's just a good thing to keep in mind as you're, um, dealing with multiple kids. Like some kids are always just going to fly under the radar more and some are just going to command your attention more. And that doesn't always mean that the one commanding your attention is actually needier at that moment than the other mm-hmm. one. It's just, mm-hmm. they have different ways of expressing it or maybe different ideas about what they want from you. So that's just a caveat, um, just to keep in mind that you might have yes. kids who never seem like they have any problems and they actually, they're deeply troubled. No, but they just, they have stuff going on too. Uh-huh. Um, they might just not be the squeaky wheel. So that's just a caveat. Um, I think that to answer that question, it depends. I would, my answer would depend on the depth and the length of the need from the kid who's having the struggle. And by that, I mean, is this a kid who came home bummed today because someone was mean to them in seventh grade or whatever, and they're having a hard time. And so you're going to give them a little extra attention tonight, but by tomorrow it's going to be okay. You know, more or less. Okay. Or is this like an ongoing thing? Like they're dealing with depression or they're dealing with um, school is really hard for them or something like that. And I would answer differently because I think the bopper a longer can probably go longer than you think without mm-hmm. like, they can probably have some benign neglect for longer than you think. Like it's probably going to be just fine if they get sort of what's left over of your attention for a few days. If it drags out into two or three months, because this is a more ongoing long-term issue, then I think that's when you have to do some um, proactive thinking about how they can get their needs met, maybe without you being the one meeting the need. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Sarah, you and I've had some really good conversations in the past about how not everything has to come from you. Like, not every need has to be met by you. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means getting a relative or a close friend to pay them attention in a different way or to make sure they're involved in activities or with other people, even like a really good friend's house where like, if your family's really struggling and those struggles really center around one of your kids and not the other or others, you might be able to lean on families you really trust to kind of pick up that slack. And that's Mm -hmm. totally okay. Like I have memories, definitely have memories of being like an older elementary school kid and like a middle school aged kid where um, my best friend's houses became like second homes to me. And that was great. And I think that was like a really special thing and very valuable to me in a lot of ways. So if you, for whatever reason, whether it's because one of your kids is struggling or because you're struggling, I think it's really okay to strategically 
look at how to get those needs met by other people. And that should not mm-hmm. be something you feel bad about Agreed. at all. Like you're getting their needs met. Um, but it just depends. Like if we're talking two, three days, I think probably the bopper alonger is not even really going to notice. Maybe they're going right. to be a little put out because they didn't get to do some special thing with you or you were a little distracted when they asked you a question or something. But overall, I think they're going to be okay. It's, I don't think you really have to plan for it. You deal with the you triage, right? You deal with the greatest need first. But if that greatest need drags out and you need a backup plan for the other child or children, I think there's a lot of ways you can go about that that don't have to take away from the kid who really needs you, mom, right now. Yes. I love all of that. And I especially loved your caveat because I am and was a least squeaky wheel. Um, and so I, I appreciate not overlooking the wheels that don't squeak um, as your caveat. So I loved that. And it brought up a couple things. One is I think moms in the 21st century and especially in our community of like, we're all trying real hard to do this really well. Right. Right. Just a reminder that what feels like an unequal distribution of your parenting energy in your head may not be playing. It may or may not be playing out when you actually look at the time and resources each the bopper and the struggling kid are getting. And what I mean by that is we tend to live a lot, especially the Sarah's among us live a lot in the ruminating, the thinking, the planning, maybe the reading articles, Mm. the asking questions of your spouse or your friends. So your mental energy may feel like 90, 10. In other words, like the kid who's struggling, I'm thinking about it all day. I'm worrying about it at night. I'm, I'm, I'm up thinking about it. Like I'm talking to my friends about it and it may feel like 95, five in terms of how much you are also spending mental energy, thinking about the well-being of the bopper. However, I would encourage you to look at, um, the, the actual time and connection time spent with the, in this case, it's two kids. So it's like an easy, like, are you still driving that kid's carpool and having little moments of connection in the car? Are you tucking them in sometimes at night? Um, are you able to respond to their needs most of the time? And Megan, you said like, you might be a little more distracted and, and they're going to be okay, of course. But I think separating those two things may give you a reality check on how much is the struggling kid truly not getting your time and energy or is most of it literally in your head. And I don't mean you're making it up. I mean, you're spending the wheel turning mental load is is 95 five. But the actual is like 60 40. And then I would say it's all going to be fine because that bop along kid will give you a run for your money at some point and the mental load will even out in the wash eventually. But I yeah. can think of some scenarios where the actual output of your energy might feel imbalanced. Um, it might be a kid with special needs who has a lot of appointments or therapies that you're driving to. It might be you have a new baby. And so you're not you're actually not able to do bedtimes and nap times and preschool pickups with the older ones. So now you're in a situation where you truly are spending a lot more time and, and outward facing energy toward the struggling kid. And I, I do think that's sometimes the case. And then I think, Megan, you're so right that the duration and the severity of the situation would sort of lead you to, is this going to blow over in, yeah, I would say even a week or two, like this, this kid is really having a hard time adjusting to school or like just got a big, like school play coming up and they're super stressed and they're all over the map, but we know there's an end in sight versus a longer term thing where you are going to want to employ, employ the village or like figure out how you can redistribute. What you cannot do is have more energy than you than you have. It's a finite, right. like your, your love is not finite, but your time is finite and your resources are finite. And so I think if you're even wondering about this, you're probably doing a great job, which is often what we say. Like if you're even aware that there's a bopper and a struggler, um, you're probably already being really intentional about it and doing a great job. I think is where I'll finish that one. Yeah. I love that. And I would also just to add to your 60, 40, cause I think that you know, you think it's 80, 20 and it's actually 60, 40, or you think it's 99, one and it's actually 70, 30. Like sometimes our perception is off because of how much mental energy we're putting into it. But, um, sometimes in those moments too, a little goes a long way. So like a five minute conversation with the kid who otherwise is kind of just in it on their own or a longer hug or just, just verbalizing to them that you've been a little distracted and that yeah. like just being honest, I think sometimes yes. like we're afraid to be honest with our kids because 
we think that that shows, I don't know, weakness or like we need to be on top of it. And we want them to think we have it all together. But I think sometimes I've just told my kids I'm really grumpy right now or I'm really distracted. There's a lot going on or I'm really busy or I'm, you know, not to put it on them. It's not their problem, but just to like, you're not imagining things. Things are a little yes. off. And I think that that's a way of like reverse crazy making because, yes, you know, kids want to know that their perception of what's going on around them is is real and accurate. And just validating that can go a long way. Just know, like letting them know you're still thinking about them and that um, it'll get better, I think can go a long way too. So mm-hmm. in addition to bringing in outside friends and, and just to put a cap on that too, I think that sometimes unless something outwardly drastic has happened in your family, like a death or like something really, really a, a bad illness or something, it can be really hard to reach out to people and say, I'm struggling. Um, I need mm-hmm. a yeah. little more support, but people will absolutely step up for you because mm-hmm. everybody struggles. And we're going to get into a little more of a question along this line in uh, the second half of this episode, but um, well, maybe I'll just leave it for that. But I, I yeah. think that like just letting people help you um, mm-hmm. is a gift to them. Yes. And absolutely. one that they're probably very happy to help you with. So yes, absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Olive in June. And Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive and June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine. Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring. Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me. Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, Sarah. So, um, in the last half, we heard from a mom who, um, was asking about when a kid is struggling, but it really led to like perfectly segue into this question, which is about when mom is struggling, because really anytime anyone in the family unit is struggling, everyone feels it. And whether it's because mom is working double time to try to help a kid who's struggling or mom is just less available because she's struggling, like we're, it it still shifts the family dynamics. in very unique ways. So I'll read this question from Shannon. She has a five, a three and a one-year-old. So in the trenches for sure. And Shannon says, I am struggling big time with anxiety these days. Lots of different things have contributed to it. Not COVID related as many might think. Um, but I think a lot of people are probably there, right? With COVID. Um, and it seems my emotions are at an all time high. It feels difficult to connect to everyday life sometimes and to thrive as a mom during these hard times. Um, and then she just says she would love to hear personal stories and how we kept the bus moving and how we were able, when we were struggling in times that we were struggling to connect with our kids when we just didn't seem to have anything left in us. And, um, Shannon, I'll just say that I think, first of all, literally every mom I've ever known has gone through this. Some Mm -hmm. talk about it openly and outwardly and some don't, but Mm -hmm. everybody I know has had a moment where they're struggling or sometimes months where they're struggling or longer. Um, I think again, Sarah, I can't remember if this, it was this episode or maybe the last listener questions episode, but you talked about the 20th century mom or 21st century yeah, mom. I think that was just earlier in this same episode. It's all running episode. together, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how, how very unfair our expectations of ourselves are. Yes. Like it's not enough that we just show up and get the job done. 
we have to love it all the time and like be connected all the time and be present all the time and be making magic and memories and, and amazing moments all the time. And I just don't think it's a fair expectation to have of ourselves. Like sometimes I am phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, you know, now that my kids are older, sometimes I'm honest with them that I'm kind of phoning it in. Like, you know what, guys, I just don't feel like making dinner tonight. Like what's the best, what's the easiest way we can get dinner on the table and try to make it kind of fun for them. Like what's the mm-hmm. easiest way I can please you all by getting you fast food or whatever. Right. But and I know that's not what you're at. You're not asking it necessarily about the, uh, details, the functional details of motherhood, but more like the moments of connection and presence and yes. just being in it. But I would argue that they all one leads to another, like my ability to manage the details of a household directly impact how I feel about mm-hmm. the people in my household and how I feel about my role in the household. And so sometimes giving myself a break from one helps me do the other. Like if I just can't be the mom who's super hands-on right now and I give myself that permission to not be, it sometimes allows me to just take care of a few dumb things that got to get done around the house. Mm-hmm. And then I find that, wow, now I have more energy to go back to the to being silly or to being a good listener or to connecting with my kids. Like those mm-hmm. things are separate, but one feeds the other. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Sarah, what do you think? Well, I'm going to start with two things. I feel like I always say when we get questions about struggling, um, the first one is my blanket advice is to lower your expectations of yourself. And when you think you have already done that, <laughs> do it again, lower them again. Yes. And I, this is advice I would give myself that we tell ourselves we're already phoning it in. We're already doing the bare minimum. We're already falling down on the job. And if you write it down, write down what you really expect of yourself or the things that are on your plate. And if you think like a therapist or think like a good friend and you look at that objectively and you're like, oh, Shannon, honey, like you could still take more off your plate. You could still lower your expectations for what it means to get through the day as a present mom. So lower your expectations. Think, sit with that for a hot second and then lower them again is my blanket advice. And then my other blanket advice is just just remember that um, getting some mental health support can be very yeah. temporary, very affordable, depending on how you do it. So if that's been a block for you or you're like afraid to say out loud that seeing someone for a few weeks might actually be the best thing, I never want it to go unsaid that we have so many moms say the best thing they've ever done is just see an online virtual counselor for a few weeks and just have some space to talk stuff through. Now, you may say back to me, Shannon, nope, Sarah, I already have low expectations and I'm already in therapy or I'm not interested in therapy. And then I think there are some other some other things I can offer, but I always want to say those two things. Um, I want to focus on this idea of being present or connected to our kids because I think, first of all, that's a wonderful goal. And I think it's also something that is a relatively recent yes. uh, to do that we've been told to add to our to do list that I'm not sure that moms of the 70s, 80s or 90s had on their to do list was to be present and connect with their children. I'm not saying they weren't doing it, but they didn't have a, a name for it in the way that we do. Um, so well, it, that- it, it would be like a byproduct, right? It yes. wasn't the goal. It was the byproduct of the stuff you did like the, the, the practical momming. Right. And I think that's what I was trying to get at. Like the practical momming leads to the things that lead to the connection mm-hmm. and they can, so they're like separate, but together and like separating them out and trying to just have the connection without being able to do the practical momming to me, it feels like putting a lot on your plate. So sorry, I didn't mean so, to interrupt you. No, but it's that's like, okay. Yeah. And the other thing that leads to feeling present and connected is is taking care of your own needs. Unfortunately, I know that's not helpful to hear because we want to just take care of our kids and make sure we don't mess up our kids in the future because they had a an absent mother. But unfortunately, it's really hard to be present and connected if you are feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, or having like a mental health crisis yourself. So while you work on yourself, um, one one tactical tip, I guess I would say, is to set really achievable goals or daily intentions with regard to that kid connection, because it's easy to blanket blame yourself and saying, oh, my gosh, I have been so checked out on my phone. I've been so consumed with this 
you know, health crisis that's happening, like, you know, the kids don't even understand it. And it's all I'm thinking about that. You can easily convince yourself that you haven't had a moment of connection with your little children in weeks. And you, if you buy that story, it's a very shameful story. But I wonder if you like wrote in your journal or just had a little mental intention once a day, all I'm going to do today is spend five minutes with one of my kids, not even all of my kids, five minutes of whatever feels joyful and connected, pushing them on the swing, reading a book, giggling, having a pillow fight, five minutes with one kid. So not because that kid needs it. Actually, the kid's probably fine, as I always say, but because you might find a little bit of momentum from checking that off at the end of the day or or following through on that little, very achievable commitment you set for yourself. And maybe if if things like phone addiction and social media scrolling feel unhealthy to you, maybe it's a goal in the opposite direction. Like I'm going to shut my phone off just a half an hour before bed, like so achievable that it's laughably doable. Not I'm not right. talking about big goals, um, because I think sometimes we're so hard on ourselves. We forget the the things we're already doing at a pretty high level. So that would be if you if you feel like you're a goal or a task motivated person like I am, I think sometimes setting those very, very achievable goals or intentions can actually create a more realistic picture of what's going on in your day um, if you're feeling extra hard on yourself. So that's one thing I'd offer. Can I also point out, Sarah, that while you, because I think that's really brilliant, it's it's almost the same as when you tell yourself, I'm so tired. I hate, my house is such a mess. I'm so tired. I want to go to bed. But before I go to bed, I'm just going to quickly clean off this bathroom counter or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you just check the thing off the list and you might go to bed feeling exactly the same, but when you wake up in the morning, you might feel better, you know, mm-hmm. just knowing it was done. And I think what's the trap you don't want to fall into is expecting yourself to feel a certain way. Like you can't make yourself feel connected to people. Like that's not, yes. you can't force yourself to feel anything. If you're not feeling super into momming and by momming, I mean the relationship of motherhood there's nothing really you can do to like make yourself feel that you can fake it. You can go through some motions because they have to get done. And because your kid probably won't know the difference. Right. But like, that doesn't mean the whole time you're going to be, you're not going to necessarily walk away from that five minute tickle fight or the snuggle on the sofa or whatever it is thinking, wow, now everything's fixed. Mm -hmm. I'm in love with my child again. I love Mm -hmm. motherhood. Like that's not necessarily how you're going to feel, but you did the thing and that feels good. And it helped build a little, you know, ladder rung back to where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we conflate like the thriving in motherhood and like the connection, like we expect that we can make ourselves feel things we can't. And I, yeah, I just think it's really important that to point out that we can. And if you do, like I, um, talked about a little bit in the first half, if you're going through struggles that are taking a lot out of you for an extended length of time, you might also feel great if better relieved, if you call call in some backup outsource. Yeah. Outsource. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a close relative or your spouse or partner or, um, another family that that, because probably isn't there something it's like how some cleaning someone else's house sometimes is more fun than cleaning your own. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier to connect with other people's kids than your own kids. Yeah, especially if you know that you're doing a good deed or serving a purpose. How many Enneagram twos out there want to be like called into action and and help um, and feel really valued? Um, I was thinking um, earlier, I think last week we talked about getting a preschool teacher involved. The preschool age especially is so hard because the kids are old enough to kind of understand stuff, but not old enough to really understand it. So um, remember that teachers and other adults in your kids' lives want to be there for your whole family and are ready and willing to step in. And you don't have to, you don't have to share everything that's going on. It can be as simple as, you know, our family's going through kind of a stressful time right now. If you notice something like the lunches aren't packed right or we're missing the the red t-shirt day, just know we're right. doing our best. And that teacher, I mean, 90 out of a hundred teachers are gonna say, say no more. We're on it. I'm right. a mom. We're too. on it. We'll help out. I get it. We'll help out. And you don't feel, you don't have to feel like you have to bear your soul every time. I think sometimes there's a misconception about asking for help or being vulnerable, like, like catchphrase vulnerable. You don't have to go deep with every person that you let into this stressful time. It can be as simple as, Hey, 
I, I might get in a jam with all of this driving around and our family's going through a stressful time. Would it be okay if I called you for rides sometimes for my kid? And then what you've yep. done is you've opened that door just a little bit so that when you are having a total panic day and you're just, you need the help, you've opened that door to be like, oh, do you mind, you know, bringing Violet home from soccer practice? And it's NBD, no big deal. Like you haven't, you don't right. have to tell them like your innermost feelings, I guess, when you, ask, right. yes. when you, they when you tap into know. the community. Yes. Yeah. Right. But you can still lean on them. And um, Sarah, I'm so glad you brought up bringing in teachers because I forgot all about mentioning that um, with Stephanie, who was asking earlier in the show about having a kid who is struggling. Um, it doesn't matter if the struggle is academic. If if it's if your child is not sleeping well at night or having problems with their friends or whatever the problem is, you or your child, I would absolutely advocate for bringing a teacher in on that. Just yeah. like giving them a little peek because Honestly, they're probably noticing something off in class anyway. Like if you have a long-term struggle that's affecting them or if they're struggling, like, or even if a sibling is struggling, Mm -hmm. it it often affects kids in ways that their teachers pick up on. But if it's not super serious, they're not going to bug you with it. They're probably not going to come to you and mention it because they've got multiple kids and they don't want to intrude. But every single time I've ever reached out to a teacher and said, just so you know, um, XYZ kid hasn't been sleeping well at night, or they seem really stressed about their homework and they're crying a lot, or um, they have a friend in school who's being really mean to them on the playground. It's not even in your class. Like this isn't even happening in your classroom, but it's just a thing. They've always been really grateful to know. And then they've taken action like right away, um, because they can, and they want to, and that helps Mm -hmm. too. Like, it's like getting the, the village involved, um, does sometimes require you to, to reach out a little bit, but I've never experienced anything besides gratitude when I've done that. Yeah. Yep. So. I agree. And Shannon, we're pulling for you. You are not alone. Um, So I hope you feel like you got a little bit out of this conversation, but also that you have the resources you need to lower your expectations and tap into your community and go easy on yourself because five, three and one, I have had a five, three and one year old (laughs) and that is not easy. So, all right, well, we are to our final question. And this listener asked to remain anonymous um, in part because I believe her child is sometimes around when she listens. And I love that. I think sometimes we do want to protect our kids from the <laughs> the advice we're getting and like the fact that we're talking about them. And I think it's really important that we talk about these things. But I appreciated that she didn't want her kid to know we were talking about that child. So I'm going to read this email from anonymous. OK, she says, Your recent episodes on organizing, which this is now, by the way, back, I think, at the beginning of 2021, early January, those episodes touched on something I haven't been able to find many resources to help me with, and that's how to share an environment with a highly creative child. My child, I think is eight or nine, is a hive of imagination and intellectual activity who uses a wide range of materials on a daily basis paints and crayons, but also whatever he has dragged out of the recycling, repurposed objects stolen from our closets, quote, (laughs) specimens found outside and arranged for observations and various solutions. This is like a science, a chemist. He doesn't play with toys hardly at all. And if there's a game he likes, he remakes it. I love this so much. This is like an inventor. This is like the next, you know, Einstein. And then she says, honestly, it's an organizational nightmare. I see a lot of advice online as to how to nurture your child's creativity, but very little on how to draw parameters around that creativity, especially since we're at home so much these days. It's quite overwhelming. As my husband said, it feels like we're living inside our kid's brain. Perhaps I just need to suck it up and celebrate his gifts, but I'd love any suggestions and sympathy. Okay, I I could not love this question more. Um because I, this is a lot of my life with Violet. And I, I mean, this listener clearly wants to celebrate creativity and inventiveness, but I'm such an advocate for moms also drawing boundaries around their home space and creating house rules or like expectations so that your house doesn't turn into a chemistry lab. Like you deserve that anonymous, you deserve that. So I don't know, Megan, if you want to jump in first, because we know I'll have lots to say, but does anything come to mind? Um, You have talked about organizing Clara's art supplies before, and we can point to that episode, but something, this feels like somehow more conceptual to me, like a bigger question. Well, I think that, you know, I've never been someone who's been, I don't have a super organizational brain anyway to offer tactics, but I think my, this was, this is very much Clara and she often just had 
little pieces of paper and little bits of things, half finished projects, like scattered everywhere. Um, part of my strategy was to offer one space where that could be, and then to kind of like put it in a place that didn't, um, that didn't infringe on my life too much, which is why she's of all of my kids been the only one who's always had like their own dedicated creation space because otherwise it would just spill over everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think where it would have driven me crazy is if it was starting to be in all rooms of my house, like that, that would, which it sounds like it is. Yes. That would have become more than I could have handled. So my solution was to have one space or sometimes two spaces, sometimes a space, like when she was really little, a space that was like out in the main, um, like the main area of the house where I could kind of keep an eye on her, but she was out of my way. And then an area like in her bedroom. But a lot of it is just like turning a blind eye to the mess and trying to not be irritated that there's little bits of paint on everything. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I totally get that it, it is, it's hard for your home to be completely taken over by some, what's the contents of someone else's brain, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I totally get that. And I think for me, the solution, I don't know, the, the solution was just to to put some parameters around it. Yeah. And I know you've got to the same thing. Yeah. And I can give some examples of what those parameters look like because Violet also isn't just a, like a messy art space kid. She does things like take all the cord- cardboard boxes in her house and build a partition wall in her bedroom. I don't think that was still there when you visited, <laughs> Megan. Know, but for so. like months, she built an entire wall out of cardboard and erected it in her room like a partition and cut holes in it that she could pass stuffed animals through. Like we're talking large in space. And also as this listener, you know, alluded to things like gross stuff, like things from outside potions, potion making, um, remaking a game. I laughed so hard at that. Like why play this game when we could like, like rearrange all the pieces to all of our games and invent a new game. So, um, I just really empathize with this. Um, And I don't think I think you're totally within your bounds to set boundaries of what you're okay with. The easiest shortcut for me has been to be relatively permissive when the child is in creation mode. Like, sure, you can get out all of the cardboard boxes. Sure, you can take all of the cushions off, you know, and make a fort. And I tend to be permissive at that level, not because I'm a better person, but because it allows me to get a lot of my own stuff done because that's right. usually when I can you recognize the, the upsides. Right. Right. So go yeah. ahead and wreck my entire room for a couple of hours and then having really clear expectations about when and how we reset our home. And, and unfortunately that you have to be really consistent. They're never going to like it. They're always going to swear that this fort is their new home and they're going to play in it every day. So we can't possibly take it down because I've done all this work of bringing the stuffed animals in there and I rigged up an electric light system and So like they will try to convince you up and down that they're going to play in this new space or with this new game every day. But you know what? They're not. You know why? Because this is a creative child who gets most value out of the creative process. And And then they're done. They don't want to execute. And then they're done. They want to create the next thing. So I have to draw really hard boundaries about resetting our space before the next thing takes over. And that is not fun and it's not easy because the kid will swear up and down that they're not done with this other project. I'm still working on the guinea pig maze. I mean, I, I could tell you so many funny stories about the things that sometimes Reed gets involved, but it's usually just Violet, like building, building a guinea pig habitat out of cardboard that included like an elevator and, you know, these things take over. And then I have to be the one to say, like, I noticed you haven't played with this setup or this game or this project in, you know, fill in the blank. Your tolerance might be a day. It might be a week. You might let them kind of ride it out depending on where it is in your house. Um, and you just have to be like, um, you know, it's time to put this away unless you're actively using it. And so that's the boundary I've been able to draw is uh, being looking the other way, turning a blind eye to most of the creative process, but being a little bit stricter about the reset expectations and then helping them. Sometimes I might have to help. It's overwhelming for an eight-year-old to undo the cat, like the amazing mess they've created. And it's unrealistic of me to be like, well, you did it. You clean it up. I've tried that approach. It's too much for a younger child. So if I'm going to turn a blind eye and allow that level of creativity, I've realized I have to at least be a partner in the cleaning up. And we, you know, we talked, was it last week about kids cleaning their rooms and imparting the, um, 
the skills around putting things away, you know, um, like recycling all those boxes. So I have found it's more helpful for me to be a partner when it's time to clean up. And I just have to be okay with that because it's too much. They're really good at making the messes and they don't have the skills yet to totally put them away. So I'm not sure if that totally answered the question, but I think it's a it's finding out where you can be allowing and where you need your boundaries for sanity. And yours might look different from mine. Um, So one thing that comes to mind when you're talking about this, Sarah, and it's funny because my two bookend kids, Jacob and Clara, are very similar in in this way. And one of the ways that I can be personally triggered by this tendency, this personality trait, is that it can be very wasteful. So these are the kind of kids who don't, they're not happy having one notebook that they write things in. They want 17 (laughs) notebooks and then they use one page. Or like they want fresh new construction paper every time they want to make something. And um, when they were little, I do remember sometimes being like, you can, you can make whatever you want with what you have, but I'm not going to go out and buy new supplies Uh when you're not even using the thing that like that cardboard box that you turn into whatever you could just as easily repurpose that cardboard box. And sometimes that helped keep it under control. Cause I'd be like, sorry. And I would just play dumb or like, mm-hmm. you know, play helpless. Like hey, I can't get my hands on another one. You're, you're going to have to figure out how to make that work. And then they would have to make the decision about what, which of their stuff they were going to repurpose, yep. kind of put it back in their hands. But it can, like, I know you and I both have a thing about waste and yes. man, watching things get used once like a roll of tape. Oh my God. Yes. And gives then me heart being, palpitations thinking about and the then scotch just tape. being like being held, like held hostage. So you've got something that needs like maybe an expensive, like those little foam sheets or something like that. And they're all going into this one thing that hasn't been touched in weeks. And I would put my foot down sometimes about that and just say, I can't just have, you know, perfectly good supplies. Yes. <laughs> just being kind just languishing, uh, in this project that you haven't looked at in weeks. Um, so I think that's another way that I think you're perfectly within your, you know, rights as a mom to just say, I love how creative you are. This is so great. I'm so excited that you're building this stuff, but can we take that apart and use those components for Mm -hmm. something else? Because I Mm -hmm. don't want to buy anymore. Um, the other thing I will say is I don't know that these tendencies are ever truly outgrown and (laughs) Jacob is 23 now. And in my house, every now and then I will look in the freezer and there will be a potion he still makes potions. Oh my gosh. And it's usually like he'll be eating ice cream or something and it melts a little bit. And I think it, it sparks his brain to go, what would happen if Mm -hmm. I mixed something else in it and then put it in the freezer or like he freezes weird food. Like it's just weird stuff. And I'll, I'll be in the freezer. I'm like, who like had a half frozen, like a half melted bowl of ice cream and froze it. And all the kids, all the other kids go, who do you think? Like they all know it's him. Because he's just earned the reputation of being the one who does odd things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and Clara, will, when she talks about Jacob, will say he's the smartest person I ever knew. So the two of them are like peas in the pod. Yeah. Bookends yeah. At either side. And I just try to like make space for that while recognizing that there's something about that wanton creativity um, that I don't truly get. But that yeah. doesn't mean I can just let it take over my life or that I have to buy constant new rolls of tape. No. And I think the way you set your boundaries, we just did that episode on house rules and we're going to revisit that theme. Um, but like the way the house rules you make up are, are yours. They're arbitrary. I'm thinking like you could say something like there's zero, um, creative construction that happens in this room of the house. This is mom's space. So you can do it anywhere else. So you could set a room boundary. You could set a time boundary. Like we don't build, we don't start new projects after 4 PM. Like, I mean, I'm, these are arbitrary, but that's the point. Like you, I think there's a lot of room for you to create and hold and stick to boundaries that work for your space and your personality without, without squashing a young child's creativity. It may, I mean, kids often do really well with some, some containers, some literal and figurative containers. So it may even be helpful for the child to have some, some expectations and boundaries to, to stick within. Cause clearly there's no there's no lack of creativity in this child. And the containers can sometimes focus that creativity. Right. Yep. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. Well, it is time to wrap up. And um, speaking of that House Rules series, if you're not familiar, we we just started it last month and we're going to do another one next week. But this is where we crowdsource our community 
for their best house rules, and a lot of them are arbitrary and sometimes even silly house rules around a given challenge. So we have another house rules installment coming up next Tuesday. If you missed the one on um, sibling harmony, it was house rules for encouraging sibling harmony. Um, We'll link that up in the show notes. And um, yeah, we'll be back in a week. Megan, this was fun. This was really fun. Talk to everyone soon. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if mom, our listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hi everyone, Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening and leave the mom hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button, and then scroll all the way to the bottom, and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.